from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 52 of On the Board. My name is Colby McKee. Out there in the stratosphere, Lance Dahl is with us. Hello, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Hello. <laughs> Good to hear from you, friend. Also in the chat, Corey Bacoskis is here. Hello, hello. Lance just killed a big bug. I'm very That's proud. Right. That thing is huge. That thing had COVID for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, guys. I, I know I can speak for Lance. Last week, uh, in, in our personal lives, we were pretty hellish. But I got to say, turning on Rangers and Hurricanes on Saturday morning brought one of the biggest smiles to my face that I've had in quite some time. I'm not sure about you guys, but how good is it to have hockey and basketball and baseball back in our lives here in August? Oh, man. It's, it, was like, it was like Christmas. Like, you know when, you, when Boxing Day rolls around and, like, in the promos leading up to the World Juniors, you get that song that plays? Like, literally any time I saw a clip of any kind of sporting event that was about to be live, hard. I was so excited. Yeah, they've been they've been making it work, too. Uh, we'll get to it later, the no cases. I mean, like, we're, we're in for mm-hmm. a treat here, boys. This is just the start. This is just week one. We got, we got lots yeah. more coming up. So, yeah, it's been awesome just to, to watch basically every hour of every day. Absolutely. It's been, uh, like I said, it's big smile on my face. I'm so enjoying all the hockey, all the games we talked about in previous episodes. You know, four, five, six games a day is uh, is quite something to uh, to wrap your head around here in August. I guess we'll start. I'm not sure about you guys, but I know I only have notes for the eight qualifying rounds. I'm, I mean, the round robins, they're there, but at this point in the game, they're not what we need to be talking about. Uh, they're not the most interesting series uh, to date. So we'll start, I guess, in the Eastern Conference. Um, as we record here on a Wednesday night, the uh, the only series to be wrapped up completely was the New York Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Hurricanes win that series uh, outright, three to nothing. And, uh, I mean, quite simply, without going into super big details, the Hurricanes were the better team overall, completely overmatched the Rangers, no matter who was in net for the Blue Shirts. Yeah, I think before this all started, none of us really had the Rangers as, you know, having a fighting chance in this series. I mean, Carolina, they're just a much better team than the Rangers. It was uh, it was on display. Mind you, that game three was pretty close for the majority of it. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Between Ajo, Sveshnikov, the Justin Williams factor, uh, I mean, they're just so deep on the blue line. Mrazek was great. Reimer was great. Uh, not went wrong for for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, they were they were one of those teams that had to load up at the the trade deadline because they had some injuries, and I think it's a common theme for some of these teams. Um, Pittsburgh being another one where their injured guys are good now, and now they just have an absolute stacked lineup. So, like you mentioned, the top guys, but you know, Trocheck, Vatnin. Uh, Brady Shea coming in with the depth behind like this team is almost unstoppable they just have so much depth throughout their whole lineup Carolina with ease uh, sweeping the New York Rangers home think about the problems and uh, maybe come back a little bit better next year Carolina the first team into that round of 16 and uh, staying in the east 
Panthers and Islanders. This series, uh, Islanders currently up two games to one. Game four going down on Friday, and uh, there's been a little bit of, I guess, turmoil for both teams after game one that's kind of spirited through the remaining, I guess, two, three, and into game four now, Colby. Absolutely, yeah. You, you mentioned the kind of the debate there in Game One. Uh, it was that Johnny Boychuk hit to the head that resulted in, in no suspension, no additional discipline. Um, I, in my opinion, I think that's the right call. They did show the replay a bunch of times there on the broadcast, and uh, he did get a lot of the chest before it went to the head and uh, ultimately sent Boychuk to the ice uh, there, motionless for a little bit. But uh, what do you say, Corey? What about that hit and and any should it have been you know additional discipline on that? Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, it didn't look too terrible. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a penalty, you know, would be a right call, but you know, I don't know. It wasn't too bad. I mean, we've seen a lot worse hits. Maybe that's not the the greatest, um, bar to set, but, um, it didn't look too bad. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at some of the worst hits so far in the playoffs, I mean, We've already had Sam Bennett uh, run Matthew Perot in the Winnipeg Calgary series from behind, uh, finishing a check. But uh, like I said, Islanders and Panthers game four going down on Friday. Uh, sticking in the East as of what eight twenty four on a Wednesday evening, the Montreal Canadiens are actually leading game three four three over the Penguins with around twelve minutes left uh, as of right now. Series oh, tied at one. Leaf. Yeah, but this was one of those series that when we talked before everything got going, had the potential for upsets. Yeah, you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, among others. But there's also the carry price factor, which, I mean, in a 4-3 game right now isn't exactly playing super into it. But there has to be some kind of factor that price, uh, I guess, injects into that Canadiens lineup. Absolutely. I mean... Price is one of the goalies. We did talk about that in previous episodes, Lance. Like, he is one of the guys in this league. When he is on, he is on. He can backstop a team to wherever they want to go. And he's done that countless times. Um, I'm really impressed, especially in that series, the young guys that are stepping up. Uh, you know, early in game one, it was Nick Suzuki getting his first career playoff goal. And, and Kakinemi got a playoff goal. And, and these guys are taking on much bigger roles. Uh, they have to in that Canadiens offense uh, to keep up with the likes of, of Crosby and Malkin. But they're coming to the task and very interesting to see uh, here in game three that's going on as we speak. Uh, the fact that they are leading at this point and could potentially take a 2-1 series lead uh, into a decisive game four. That would be huge for the confidence of these young rookies. Not just on the defensive side, but I mean, Petri, um, he's currently got the game winner right now. Um, obviously the game winner in game one and, and Shea Weber, he's got a goal today. Like they've shut down the top Pittsburgh players and they've, they've helped out on both ends of the ice. Like, I mean, Montreal's got a complete game effort um, in game one. And then it looks like game three, if they can do it again, close out this one, you know, we could be looking at a, a very big upset. Yeah. As of right now, Sidney Crosby does not have a goal registered in game three. He did have a goal in the first two games. And, uh, Interestingly enough, the Habs ended up scoring first and the Pens rattle off three. Then the Habs rattle off three of their own. And so we'll see how that one shapes up in the back end of the third period. Uh, of course, a lot of interest into the Toronto Maple Leafs and Columbus Blue Jackets for a multitude of reasons, whether it be uh, Nick Robertson finding his way into the lineup for Toronto and how exactly 
Jake Muzzin is doing. We found out that he is not going to be coming back for the rest of this series. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Toronto gets through where Muzzin's status exactly lies. But uh, one of the closer battles uh, night in and night out has been that Leafs jacket series. And I think I know us three guys were kind of expecting a close battle. It is an eight, nine matchup. If you look at it on paper, I know uh, some of the betting favorites had a heavy hand in Toronto winning this series pretty heavily, but uh, I expected a close series and that's exactly what we're getting so far. A pretty good goaltender duel there as well with Corpusalo and Anderson trading back-to-back shutouts, um, albeit some empty netters in there as well. But it's like I said, it's been a very tight series. In game one, the Blue Jackets were right down the throats of the Leafs, uh, really giving them no room to breathe. And I believe that last seven minutes and 30 seconds there of the third, in game one, the Leafs didn't even have a shot on goal. So that just kind of shows the, uh, the you know, the suffocating defense and the, the four-check pressure that the Jackets are putting on these Leafs. And they're putting up a fight. Like, they're really showing they can go toe-to-toe with one of the uh, offensive elite powers in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think in game one, Columbus did an amazing job clogging up the center of the ice. Um, they know that Toronto, well, I guess in game one, Toronto wasn't going into the corners as much. Um, their fourth line got very few minutes, which is, has Kyle Clifford that had uh, Gauthier, Frederick Gauthier on there. Um, the big guys, they weren't getting many minutes, especially when they were down and on the scoreboard. They were trying to get their stars out there. So they knew that if they could force the play to the corners that they were going to dominate the game. Um, in game two, you know, Kyle Clifford, obviously the big hit um, on that Blue Jackets defenseman early, um, kind of set the tone for the, the, the game. And then... Um, obviously, the Austin Matthews finally got it going. Uh, a big goal from Johnny Tavares, the two stars there. Um, a good game. Toronto, you know, after a shutout, you want to see at least something from the star players, and that was huge for Game 2. Game 3 will be interesting. That'll be kind of the, the biggest game of the series. Game 3 does go 6 o'clock Mountain tomorrow. Leafs and Jackets, winner takes a 2-1 series lead in that one. A couple series with a fair bit of intrigue and a couple that, uh, at least personally, have been drifting by the wayside, so to speak. I don't know if it's just because we're in Alberta, but the the Winnipeg Jets-Calgary Flames series has had a lot of juice from the get-go. And uh, Flames currently leading the series 2-1, Game 4 going down tomorrow. Uh, it, it's been an interesting dynamic, and it's... It, incredibly unfortunate to, to see what the Jets are having to go through. And it, it's really just kind of putting a punctuation mark on what's been already injury-riddled season. Absolutely. I think even as a Flames fan, you, you can't help but feel uh, really sorry for this Jets team. The fact that uh, Shifley goes down game one, Line A goes down game one, they lose, uh, you know, Pullman, you know, not a big name on the back end, but he goes down and, you know, challenges their depth a little bit. Matthew Perot, we talked about the hit with Sam Bennett. Um, just devastating injuries to a team that's already been rattled all year long. Second most man games lost in the entire league up until this restart. And uh, in terms of the flame side of things, I mean, really three different games. Game one, really dominant uh, secondary scoring all over the place, uh, four different goal scorers. And even in game three, you know, getting that multitude of scoring, uh, six different goal scorers there in game three. But then game two on both sides of things, really undisciplined play 
by both teams. Uh, that led to some really key power play goals. Obviously, Nick Ehlers got the game winner there in game two, but uh, very exciting series to watch. Obviously, as a Flames fan, I'm really intrigued, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how game four goes down here, I believe, tomorrow night. The, the other Western matchup you mentioned there, Alberta-wise, uh, Blackhawks and Oilers. That one is uh, very deceiving as well. Kind of a, a tale of two sides of the tape in that series as well, Lance. Yeah, it's it, we expected that that would be one of, if not the high-scoring series of this qualifying round. I mean, you have two teams that aren't exactly defensive first, uh, definitely more uh, run-and-gun type teams. Uh leak in game one was the factor for the Chicago Blackhawks and in game two obviously Connor McDavid became uh, front and center and that series and how it's kind of played out to this point you're probably what you see is what you're going to get whoever scores last probably going to win each and every game in the series it's uh, it's impressive to see what Connor's doing and it's also equally as impressive just to see the poise that, you know, the, the group that we all know with the Blackhawks, Kane, Taves, uh, Duncan Keith, and like Brandon saw, just the experience that they have within them uh, shows in the playoffs in a serious way when they get these points where, you know, they're trading power plays and the Hawks don't ever really seem phased. And it's uh, it, it's got a... Like between the Calgary series, both of those have a lot of juice when it comes to these final uh, couple games of these qualifying rounds. Yeah, I agree with you, Lance. I think McDavid has just shown how dominant he can be right now. Um, you know, Drysital. I haven't seen much of him in, in the games that I've, I've been watching. He hasn't been the, you know, the X factor that we know he can be. Um, and and McDavid is, you know, against a really veteran team. You talk about the experience that Chicago has McDavid has come to the forefront and, you know, they're very, you know, maybe not lucky, but I, I don't think they're unhappy to be tied right now. And it's only a matter of time before dry settle comes um, all that depth scoring is going to come and uh, you know, they're going to overpower Chicago eventually that you just got to hope that it's within these five games. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see game three uh, kicks off like right now. Um, so we'll, we'll end up seeing how that one goes as we work through the evening uh, a couple that I, this one might be the biggest throwaway one. I don't know why. Well, I, I lied. I do know why. I said before the series even started, Arizona and Nashville, if it never happened, I don't think any one of us would really care. And uh, <laughs> I, I think we're still there. Like if Arizona and Nashville, if they just flipped a coin and not two one, I think we'll be like, all right, I guess so. Yeah, if I, I can. I think I make it very vocal how much I hate Minnesota because of how mediocre that they are. Like they're never in the bottom five and they never get past the second round. Is Nashville not starting to look like Minnesota 2.0? Like they're just always in the playoffs. They had some success a few years ago, but like they just, they have a f like a lot of second line players and just huge contracts and really no hope in sight. Yeah, I, that's a great comparison, Corey. I think uh, the goaltending, we've talked about the goaltending in previous episodes between uh, Rene and UC Soros. That could be technically one of the bright spots for a Predators team that, I mean, they at one point they were 
they were in the Stanley Cup final. They were challenging in the West year after year. And I think you're right. It's come to the point now where uh, some of those contracts have, have added up. Some of the young talent hasn't quite worked out the way you thought. And uh, it, they're to a point where you can't see them advancing very far in the playoffs anymore. But like you said, they're not super bad where they can kind of restock and, and retool their their depth and you know their young players to a point where they can compete at the highest level anymore. Yeah, like they really are a Minnesota Wild 2.0 when you think about it. Like, I mean, as as of right now, Soros could be comparable to either Staylock or Dubnik. You got Yossi, that's like Ryan Suter. You have Victor Arvidsson, like Parisi. You had Johansson, like Miko Koivu. You can go on and on and on. It really, I mean, they're the almost the exact same team, but uh, but one's playing Arizona and one's not, and somehow that <laughs> series is tied at one. So okay. Uh, well, no, Minnesota. it's two uh, one. Sorry, Arizona oh. got the got the game three today. So, right. worst news for Nashville. They're down. <laughs> like God, like if you lose to to Arizona, like no offense, Arizona, but you're you're just a dumpster fire for the most part. Like you just G- GM less Arizona Coyotes, the dumpster fire in front office that is the Arizona Coyotes. But Rick Tockett's there, right? <laughs> I think yeah, so, yeah. I guess. So I guess that's all you need. Just Rick Pocket. Uh, <laughs> final series we'll look at Minnesota, Vancouver. Um, obviously, play on the ice has been incredible, but it's kind of hard to get to this point and not mention uh, what Matt Dumba has kind of led inside that Edmonton bubble when it comes to Black Lives Matter and the Hockey Diversity Coalition that he's one of the co founders of. And when you just look at the work that Matt Dumba has done, it raised two thoughts in my mind, at least, and either one of you feel free to jump in that the two thoughts to me are very, I guess, opposite one on the positive side. I mean, it's great to see Matt Dumba come together with players across all leagues to create this coalition and find a way to create more diversity and more opportunity in hockey for people who are racialized. That's absolutely incredible. What he said before uh, things really got going on ice there was just so powerful and properly. But on the flip side, and I was saying this to Corey the other day, there still seems to be this bit of an issue where you look at what Matt Dumba's doing and other players that have stepped up, Jason Dickens, Robin Leonard, Ryan Reeves, and Tyler Sagan, namely – that have made a point of this. Uh, Darnell Nurse, obviously, and Malcolm Subban were a part of uh, Matt Dumba's speech as well. The problem is the league also frames this as, you know, we skate for black lives. Yet the players say all the right things, but when it comes time to actually doing something, not to say they have to, but as we've seen across the leagues, other players step up and join in. In hockey, you have seven players. That's it. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with you. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. Like, I don't know. Uh, there's, it's tough to decide. Everybody has their own opinion on you know what it means. Obviously, like if you still think that um, people kneeling for the anthem is is dishonoring the flag and and the national military, you just don't get it. You just don't want to get it at this point. Like. Mm-hmm. That's not what it is anymore. But, like, you know, Tyler Sagan, we talked about Tyler Sagan. Like, you know, 
I don't know if he's I don't know if he's faced any backlash on Twitter or in his family or anything because of it. But even if he has, he's on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, I'm I'm going to remember Tyler Sagan and Jason Dickinson doing that. They were the first or at least, yeah, the first white people to do it in NHL. Um, you know, they're they're making a movement they're starting a conversation amongst white people which is very much needed right now like i i i don't know i just i i would have hoped to see a little bit more like i understand there's some people still trying to figure it out but you know more than just the seven that you listed there i think i agree with you guys uh, wholeheartedly i agree that uh what dickinson what you know sagan and leonard as well throw him in there uh did there the other night was was powering, and that's something that can hopefully spawn uh, more action, more conversation, more dialect about the issues going on, uh, not only in America, because we've sure as hell got our issues here in Canada as well. And uh, I, I can't help but think part of this, um, and it's just calling a spade a spade, but over 80 85% of the National Basketball Association is made of black players. And I think the, the response that came from the NBA on this, um, supporting a large, large portion of its players, um, probably had something to do with this. And the fact that, quite frankly, there's just not enough diversity in National Hockey League, in Major League Baseball, uh, all over the place where, uh, you know, th- those voices aren't lending, you know, they're not getting heard probably near as much as what maybe the NBA and their players are doing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that isn't going to change overnight. But and I I don't want to make the statement as being hypocritical because it's you look at like when we kind of consider you know what these different players are doing and, and not doing in some instances, and you hear the conversations about people who will go and criticize other players for for not getting on board and saying how it's a problem. Um, but at the same time, uh, I would think a lot of those people also don't necessarily go out and express the, the support to the people who need it as well and finding ways to, to help the cause. And, I mean, I, we can all look internally, myself 100% included, as somebody who hasn't done enough. But you would think that this, I mean, isn't something that's new and this isn't something across sports that is just starting in hockey. Like you've seen it happen in other sports before getting to this point. So I'm just, I'm more just surprised because obviously you don't want to go and put support behind something without fully understanding it. And I totally appreciate that. But you would think that, I mean, we've been in COVID for four and a half months that these players, they talk and they see what other leagues are doing. And you would think the conversations would come up and that, this would have more support early on than it does. It's just uh, something I find interesting. Again, I don't want to sound hypocritical because, I mean, we could all probably say we can look in the mirror that we can do better uh, in supporting Black Lives Matter and, and, and everything that it stands for. So I, I guess that's kind of how I'll frame my end of it if you guys have any other thoughts about it. And then we can, uh, and we can try and parse through what is a very exciting Canucks Wild Series. <laughs> yeah, I guess my final thoughts is like, I mean, you know, they keep saying it. It's not, this isn't 
going to be comfortable. Change is not comfortable, right? So, like, even us talking about this, we're three white men. We don't understand, like, um, the lengths of what this all means, right? So, um, it, it's going to take change. It's going to take listening. And, you know, even just something as simple, you know, Kevin Biggio in, in, in the game one, uh, the, the season opener, um, I think it was Anthony Alford was scared to kneel. And Kevin Biggio was just like, dude, I'll do it with you. Like, he didn't, you know, wasn't sure if he was mm-hmm. going to or not, just to have that support. Um, that's that's all we need is just to listen and be there for, for our fellow humans. 100%. I love that what you said there, Corey. Uh, I'll just wrap up my portion by uh, recommending people to go listen and go search out Emmanuel Ocho on Instagram. He's having mm-hmm. a bunch of uncomfortable conversations with a black man that's now turning into a book. Um, I've found him on social media. Uh, I've been watching, you know, 10, 15 minute videos interviewing, you know, he interviewed PK Subban and his uh, fiance, Lindsey Vaughn, and had a, a very frank conversation about interracial relationships. And, uh, you know, these conversations that he's having are, is eye-opening and is something that I'm definitely taking notice of and uh, trying to educate myself on and, uh, you know, just trying to better, you know, the world around me. And I highly recommend go check out Emmanuel Ocho, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's one of those things that if it starts – in local communities, we don't have to worry about the trickle-down effect, right? So uh, locals can can get on this and, and be a part of the positive change all the way down to, I don't know, do they even call them Mighty Mites anymore? Timbits, whatever the hell they call them. <laughs> Fucking don't wait till then. Like, we can start this now. Uh, speaking of starting this now, whole Canucks and Wild. Uh, tied at one apiece. Their series shifts to game three tomorrow, a... Wonderful 12.30 in the afternoon start mountain time because that's how everyone wants to start their day. I don't mean to really shit on the Canucks and Wild, but this just doesn't have as much intrigue to me as a lot of other series that are that are going on right now. Yeah, I can see why you think that. Um, I'm obviously from the West Coast. I wasn't a Canucks fan growing up, but now you know they've got some exciting players, so I'm kind of turning the stone on that one. But, I mean... <laughs> I don't know, no offense to him, but when Alex Stalock gets a shutout, it probably wasn't the greatest game. Like, he probably didn't get too many shots, probably not many high-scoring chances, right? But, um, yeah, like I said, Minnesota's going to find a way to mediocre it up. And, you know, I think Vancouver is a little bit, um, a little bit like the, the Columbus-Toronto. I think Minnesota kind of locked up Vancouver's offense in game one, and then they kind of figured it out in game two, started to get a lot more offense going. Um, their young stars uh, got a lot more looks. JT Miller looked amazing on, on both sides of the end uh, of the ice. So um, I think Vancouver's probably going to lock up the next two. But, yeah, you know, like you said, it's not the most exciting series that's out there right now. And it's funny because going into this, when we were, you know, previewing it last episode, like I was excited to watch these Canucks, these young Canucks, see what they could do uh, with some playoff experience. And to be frank with you, I have not watched a minute of this series. I'm not sure if it's quite simply a schedule timing for me. I can't get to it, but I haven't had that juice to actually sit down and watch any minute of this series um, like I have with these other ones that we've talked about previous. It's same with that Nashville, Arizona 
haven't really watched a, a wink of that one as well. It just, like you said, Lance, it doesn't have the juice like these other series have at this point. Uh, one of these teams is going to move on, and then, you know, <laughs> obviously some, some different series, different matchups will come from that. But at this point, I mean, you're cheering, I, in my opinion, I'm cheering for a Canadian team to, to advance. If they are the Canucks, uh, albeit as a Flames fan, I will take that. And uh, hopefully they can move on and beat the Wild, and then we can have some more Canadian playoff hockey uh, next round. We shall see. Essentially, Game 3 goes tomorrow. If you're listening, that's Thursday. Uh, 12.30, surprisingly, or maybe not so much. I don't know. However you perceive this series, Minnesota Wilds actually a betting favorite over the Canucks. So Ooh. that's, that's uh, potentially a spot you can make some money if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so all these series that we've kind of dove into and looked at, and look at this. We haven't talked about a single fucking case of COVID. How they did it. Yeehaw! They're not Man. MLB. They're not oh. the MLB. <laughs> oh, that's MLB. a that's a big accomplishment, though. Like them and the NBA. Um, we'll get to that as well. But uh, it's just going to show that the the bubble. Knock on wood. Cross your fingers. The bubble is working to this point, and that is fantastic to see. I think we all can agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like, I mean, yeah, they, they kind of did it. They're past that two week, that two week window. Um, interesting to see what's going to happen with Jake Muzzin. Oh, I think he's back. He is back in the, in the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. but how long he has to quarantine for, and obviously, you know, going to a hospital that creates some kind of risk, you know, there is a chance that he could, he could have got it there. You know, you never know, but, um, you know, right now as uh, for the NHL, you see this as a huge success. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Michael Furland, another guy that may have to leave the bubble uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. And I guess while talking about the Canucks, uh, Tyler Toffoli is a maybe for tomorrow. So if you are really hard up on a twelve thirty Canucks wild game three, I mean, keep that in mind. Uh, we'll transition, I guess, to junior. And Corey, you're going to have a better, I guess, grasp on this than uh, myself and Colby. But uh, kind of seeing this get floated where – it started as what I saw being the OHL and it might've actually uh, swept the entire Canadian hockey league because that's usually how these things go, but a mandate that uh, the season won't get going now until at earliest December. Yeah. You basically hit it right on the head. I don't know. You know, it's, I'm still trying to figure out how kind of news breaks in the CHL. It's like, you know, the CHL is above everybody and everybody kind of works together, but then some leagues break news before the other ones. But um, yeah, December 1st, um, 64 games schedule, um, which is, you know, um, they say that it's going to end in April 29 or um, April 29th. So that's, um, that's four months of a lot of hockey games. If it goes through, um, the Memorial Cup would be in l- mid-June. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we all saw October 2nd as just kind of a placeholder. If we're all being honest with ourselves, it was kind of like, okay, you know, that's a really lofty goal, seeing what's happening in the MLB, seeing what NHL has to do to get some hockey. Um, but it seems like, you know, Junior A is right there too. It seems like December 1st is um, a date that, all hockey can work towards, you know, the NHL, all the junior leagues. That that seems like a good month to start. 
And it's tough because I know uh, when the WHL released their their statement a few months back about that October 2nd placeholder date, um, you know, they mentioned that, you know, the success of these franchises rests in revenue from the fans, whether it's gate admission, uh, concession, uh, merchandise, however you want to define that. And as we currently stand, having 100 people indoors is the max. And hopefully, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers as well, that December 1st, the uh, the restrictions lift a little bit. Not sure how the, the whole fan situation is going to work across the Canadian Hockey League and all sports leagues, to be honest with you. But uh, in terms of Canadian Hockey League and, and for sure in the dub, like – they rely on the revenue of the fans. And if the fans can't be there, I really don't see some of these franchises uh, continuing on with a season where they're just throwing money away. Like I know it's for the players part of that as well, but I have a really tough time seeing um, changes and, and games happening without some, some restrictions being lifted in terms of this COVID. Yeah, we'll see how it develops. Uh, if I guess the restriction stays at 100 people, you better let in the 100 most hungry people and hope that they just eat a lot of the concession. Um, let me in, least, man. Uh, yeah, yeah let thinking. you in. There, that's, a, that's a great idea. Kobe would go and eat 19 hot dogs at the Canal Center. Guarantee it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a petition. And, yeah, like I'll, I'll be front in line. I'll, I'll buy a Tiger's jersey. I'll, I'll buy a foam finger. And, uh, yeah, I'll buy – Eight beers and, and 20 hot dogs, and we'll have a night. Yeah, that, would, that would sound pretty darn good. Uh, so we'll <laughs> keep you updated as that kind of transitions and ebbs and flows. And uh, December is kind of feeling like a lifetime away, so who knows what can change, and there'll probably be a lot between now and then. Uh, but speaking of junior, of course, now is the time where we do uh, whatever we get on for an episode, Tigers Trivia, and I dropped the ball. So uh, thankfully... Uh, Corey was able to send <laughs> no. me a link. Uh, You're not going to do this, not, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're here. we got to do oh, the boy. trivia. It's not, uh, it's not Medicine Hat Tigers. Like I said, I dropped the ball, kind of forgot it was my turn. And uh, so instead, we're going to do Major League Baseball's Detroit Tigers. Because <laughs> Tigers are Tigers through and through. Shut up, Miguel Cabrera. All right. Yeah, yeah. Question. Maglio Ordonez. Yeah. No, 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 fuck Maglio. The last <laughs> Tigers pitcher to steal a base was oh, A, Denny McLean, B, Mickey Lolich, C, John Hiller, or D, Joe Necro. You know what, Corey, since you created this idea, you get to go first. I'm going Joe Necro, D, obviously. Okay, Colby. I'm going to go with C. I think it's Hillier. I honestly, I have to scroll down to find the answer, so I don't know who that was. But you're both wrong. The answer was B, Mickey Lolich, back April 4th. That must have been opening day back in 1970. Mickey Lolich, the last pitcher to steal a base for the famed Detroit Tigers. You guys are going to have to. You telling me Dontrell Willis didn't hit the base paths way back in his day? Uh, or Zambrano? I, Willis might have won in Miami. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he would have been in that kind of shape. Too many leg kicks by the time he got to Detroit. On to question number two. I guess we'll keep with the pitcher theme. Who was the first Tigers pitcher to lead the league in ERA? Was it A, Ed Seaver, B, Jim Bunning, C, Steve Gromick, or D, 
Dizzy Trout. Colby. Oh, Dizzy. Dizzy. Is that a real name, Dizzy Trout? It is. It is a real name. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, ooh, that's a tough, uh, no, it's not really not tough. A, Seaver. No. <laughs> yeah, it's not tough at all, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Seaver's the only name I recognize, so I'm going A, Seaver, too. In 1902, this pitcher had a 1.91 ERA. His name, Ed Seaver. You both get a point. Yay. Congratulations. Yay. For one to two. On to question number three. <laughs> Corey, what year did the – I almost said Medicine Hat. Did the Detroit Tigers <laughs> last sweep the New York Yankees in a four-game series at home? The last time the Tigers swept the Yankees four-game series at home. Was it A, in 2006, B, in 1984, C, 1961, or D, just yesterday, in 1945? <laughs> at this point, just pick a letter. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't 2006. I don't think so. We'll go. We'll go. Uh, C. 1961. Okay, good choice. Uh, Colby, your choice is A. 2006. B. 1984. C. 1961. Or D. 1945. Uh, I'm gonna split the difference. I'll go B. 1984. Well, you simply just gotta turn back a lot of pages in the history books 1945 oh. the correct answer a lot of people were in Comerica or whatever that park would have been named that I don't think it was Comerica <laughs> no I'm pretty sure it was I'm running I'm running the quiz I know what the answers are congratulations to neither of you each of you one for three as we move on to question number four who was the first Detroit Tiger to hit a home run as a designated hitter? Was it A, Frank Howard, B, Al Kaline, C, Gates Brown, or D, Willie Not Tim Horton? What? <laughs> no. Uh, I'll repeat. Who was the first Tiger to hit a home run as a designated hitter? Was it A, Frank Howard, B, Al Kaline, C, Bill Gates Brown, or D, Willie, not Tim Horton. All right, whose turn is it? It's, it's uh, yours. I think it's Colby's. Oh, no, it's Corey's. Sure. Is it? Um, okay, I'm going to go with A, Philadelphia Phillies legend, Ryan Howard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Frank Howard, good choice. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, with D, Willie, not Tim Horton. Well, the first Tiger to hit a home run as a designated hitter back in April 20th of 1973 was your friend and mine, Gates Brown. Gates Brown. <laughs> Brownie! Frick. Hey, Brownie, go sure out there you... and hit. Oh, okay, yeah. Make sure you mark Gates Brown on your on-the-board bingo card. As... <laughs> that's that's going to complete a tough line. Uh to what I think is question six. I've lost count. <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. In w- <laughs> okay, keep it together. In which year did Mario Impemba and Rod Allen first pair up yep. in the Tigers TV booth? Everyone knows the classic <laughs> duo of Impemba and Allen, also known as Impy and Alley. Was it A, 1999, B, 2000, C, 2003, 
or D, 2005, Colby? Oh, Jesus. Damn, that's recent. I mean, I should know. It was a historic day on the WGN network or whatever they have there. WGN. Uh, was the it before they got time, good or was it during they got good? I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go. Is it 2003? Is that an option? That is an option. Is okay. that C? The sh- we'll make it whatever the hell you want. I don't know. If you want 2003, <laughs> you get 2003. Uh, Corey, your choice is A, 1999, B, 2000, C, 2003, or D, 2000. 2005. B, 2000. Final answer. Well, Y2K does seem like a logical time for Mario and Pemba and Rod Allen to pair up in the Tiger TV booth for the first time. However, it was C, 2003. Oh, oh yeah. Hell uh, yeah. You, you missed the boat. You, you didn't know classic Impy and Alley. Uh, that was, they, they go back and forth so well. Uh, ah, that was a tough one. You. That Colby obviously knows his Mpemba trivia. Like, yeah, that no. was so unfair. <laughs> No, what can trivia. I say? Uh, we got two more for you. Oh, the geez. first Detroit Tiger selected to an all-star game was A, Ty Cobb, B, Hank Greenberg, C, Charlie Gehringer, or D, your boy, schoolboy row. <laughs> I think okay. I think I this is another one where I only know one name, so I guess I have to go with Schoolboy. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I would too. I would yeah. too. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's almost a case of is it is it too obvious? Like I don't know if I should just pick the obvious answer or is there some I will tell you, considering how this quiz has gone, yeah, that's probably too obvious. Yeah, I figured so. This link is, is really deceiving for you. Um I'm gonna go with uh C Charlie whatever his last name was. Charlie Gehringer. Well, the first Detroit Tiger selected to an all star game was not Ty Cobb. That name most baseball fans would know. And it was not Hank Greenberg. So, one of you is correct. Was it Charlie Gehringer or your boy, School Board Row? Well, unfortunately, School Boy Row. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. The correct answer, unbelievably, Colby all of a sudden knows all of his trivia when it comes to the Detroit Tigers. This is uh, quite an exceptional job. We will uh, – it's one second. The, the quiz actually closed on me, but I said two more. We've got to find the last question. So, uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. Which Tigers pitcher got the win in the first game at Comerica Park? Was it A, Jeff Weaver, B, Todd Jones, C, Brian Muller, or D, Steve Sparks? I don't care who goes first. Is there a year associated with this one? Uh, sure isn't. I think <laughs> I think it was like late nineties for Comerica. Okay, especially um, if Jared Weaver's. Jer- yeah, maybe two thousand. Nope, Jeff Weaver. Jeff Weaver. Jeff Weaver. He was a former St. Louis Cardinal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay, I'm good. gonna I'm gonna go with that man. I'm gonna go a Jeff Weaver. 
Okay. Uh, D had a funny name, so I'm going with him. D? Steve Sparks? Yeah, Sparky. Sparky. Hey, Sparky, well, way to get the first win at Comerica there, kid. It would be fitting that the Tigers pitcher getting the first win in Comerica Park would be Steve Sparks, but it's not. No, no, no. It's Brian Moeller. Brian uh, Moeller. All I right. one more for you because I found a good one, actually. <laughs> okay. Right. So we're This one's worth five points. Bonus points, whoever gets this. Owns the Detroit Tigers. Prior to Major League Baseball retiring Jackie Robinson's number 42, who was the last Tiger to the last Tiger to wear number 42? Was it A, Phil Nevin, B, Tony Clark, C, Brandon Ng, or D, Jose Lima? Oh, good one. Who, what was option C again? Brandon Ng. Brandon Ng. Oh, Brandon Ng. He's like a utility guy, I think. Yeah. Or yeah, no, I'm thinking of like... Wait, he was are you... Ben oh, Zolder no, Brandon Inge. Was ben, Inge is, yeah, sure. Is, who cares? I-N-G-E? It's, it's no, I think I'll he played... No. I think he played every position one game or something. I don't know. He will feraled it before it was cool. Well, um, I, he, he's, I'm going he's with not a. the right answer. Okay, Phil Nevin. Interesting. I'm going to go uh, Jose Lima, D. Colby, unbelievable. It's Jose Lima. Oh, my. <laughs> Hell, yeah. I've never seen uh, big, chunky Lima with a number 42 on his back. It is true. That is uh, exactly how it went. So, congratulations. You just put yourself through 15 minutes of the worst trivia of life. Uh, round Yay. of applause for both of you. So we went from we went from the hardest trivia ever with Corey to the dumbest trivia we've done ever. Yeah, yeah. both <laughs> very hard, both very dumb. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Excited to see where we go next week. I got you covered. Uh, all right, going to the NBA now, boys. We're 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 done with that. Yes, please. All you right, can relive it if you want. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It, we'll we'll do that in our nightmares for the next couple of days here. Um, all right, yeah. Now we're going over to the NBA, the bubble down in Florida. Um, starting out with the Raps, first two games, two and zero, oh, a great start for them. Obviously, a a big first win over the the Lakers, and then followed up by the Heat. Um, I know heading into this one, boys, uh, the Celtics were just a few games back. It was almost like the Raps, they just had to go about 4-4, four and four and they were going to lock up that second seed. Uh, we'll go to Colby. You know, how, how have you liked the Raps play and, and where they might end up at the end of these eight games? They've been playing fantastic. Great team basketball. Uh, their defense is, is smothering their opponents. They had a great win tonight against the Orlando Magic. Uh, they were up by 20, 25 points at one point. That looks to be what the first-round matchup is going to be for the Raptors, that 2-7 matchup. Uh, like you said, Corey, they're they're inching closer to locking up that number two seed. However, I mean, the Bucks have not been playing very well. I know they lost to the Brooklyn Nets the other day. Um, so that was kind of a surprising uh, result in that one. But uh, I, I don't think they're going to be close enough to catch the number one seed. However, they are playing well. Uh, they're getting some key contributions from, from OG Ananobi. Uh, Fred Van Vliet had his career high against the, uh, not the Lakers, who they play there. The Heat, that's correct. So he had his, his career high there. And uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing. I think if you're a Raptors fan, you got some very high hopes for uh, another potential long playoff run here in the, uh, in the later fall. 
Yeah, I don't want to pivot, but I'm going to pivot um, just because I promised an update. The Montreal Canadiens beat the Penguins 4-3. Uh, wow. So they take a 2-1 lead. And five minutes left in the first between the Oilers and Hawks. They're tied at one. Uh, Oli Mata scoring. And 30 seconds later, Leon Dreisaitl scores for Edmonton. One, I one. said he was coming. I said he was coming. You did. Come. You he did. did. So... So pat yourself on the back some more while I talk about the Raptors. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think when they beat the Lakers, it it not only put the league on notice, but it kind of put themselves back on notice because you go in with so much hype into that game. I mean, first game back, but it's also the first game that you're taking on one of the best teams in the NBA. Come as a dub. I mean, emotionally, that can go one of two ways. You can get yourself really hyped up, and then all of a sudden you lose, and it's a bit of a letdown, and you might trail, and they might not be 3-0 and at this point. But instead, you beat the Lakers. Then you go and you whoop the Heat. And then, well, maybe not whoop, but you beat the Heat. And then you go and beat up on the Magic, and now all of a sudden you're feeling real good about yourself. Uh, they have a very real possibility to just win out this, I guess, rest of the season quote-unquote before they get into playoffs yeah and i'm trying to remember the in that first game against the lakers it seemed like the scoring uh, maybe one of you guys can help me i'm trying to find the stats here the scoring was very spread out i think all the starters had 20 plus points i think i'm trying to find it here yeah um i don't know no i'm wrong i was looking at a different game was there one game that like the scoring was really spread out maybe against the heat Potentially, I know. Yeah, Freddie had the thirty-six, and then it was at least double digits for for Lowry and Siakam, and and a whole bunch of other players. Okay, all right. I think I, I might have read something wrong, but anyway, we'll get to uh, the coach. No love for for Nick Nurse. Um, the coaches voted in um, on, on the coach of the year this year. Obviously, it's not the actual award um, that will be voted on by the media um, a little later on. But Mike Budenholzer and Billy Donovan uh, named co-coaches of the year by the coaches. So some love out West. Um, Colby, uh, you know, I ask you, like, is there that that West conference was so hard. There were so many star players. Was that maybe a reason that um, the coaches out there for their great records, um, they maybe got some more love over Nick Nurse? I think that has something to do with it, absolutely. Uh, Billy Donovan and the OKC Thunder, they were a team that nobody had making the playoffs. And the uh, the, the kind of the flip that they've done and that Billy Donovan's done with that team has been quite remarkable to be where they are in the Western Conference. Uh, getting a guy like Chris Paul, people thought he was done. He was out in the water. Uh, but he's really resurrected his career. And guys like Shea Gilders-Alexander and Dennis Schroeder, who could potentially be a six-man-of-the-year award winner. Uh, they've got some great guard play. And, uh, you know, big Steven Adams in the middle. They've really changed around the whole complexion of the Thunder's future, which is something to not take lightly. And then with, with Mike Budenhoser, um, just the best team overall in the league with the Milwaukee Bucks. You got a guy like Giannis who continues to improve year after year. Uh, his stats show it. He could potentially win the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. So it just shows how dominant he's been. And, uh, you know, to coach a team like that is, is no small feat. And uh, I, I, it's well-deserved for both those gentlemen. However, I mean, as a, as a Raptors lover, you got to think that Nick Nurse should have been 
in the conversation, and he was. He was only one vote shy of making that a three-way vote. So hopefully the media members uh, kind of flip the script and show more love to Nick Nurse when the actual award gets awarded. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you look at it and you provide the two reasons as to why each coach was named by the coaches as co-coaches of the year and how Nick Nurse essentially falls right into the category of Billy Donovan's nomination for a guy that wasn't really expected to be doing a ton considering the general thought was that when Kawhi left that the Raptors were going to be having a bit of a tougher time if they fell in the middle difference that wouldn't be surprising and well would you look at that they're at the top and it gets some love so I mean it is what it is uh, obviously Mike Budenholzer is a great coach but I think uh, y- y- you kind of look through past history and how Nick Nurse has coached at every level. He's an elite coach. He doesn't necessarily need other people to tell him that he's an elite coach. I think he's at the point, like when you're really good at something, oh, you're really good. And that's kind of where Nick Nurse is at at this point. Yeah. So uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier um, about the possible uh, matchups for the, for the playoffs Um, for the Orlando magic here. They're kind of at the bottom of the standings right now. Um, They are dealt a big blow with losing Jonathan Isaac. Um, Obviously um, he made news before um, that game for, for standing during the Anthem. Um, It was very noticeable um, for that one. And um, then goes out on the court and, and just a devastating ACL injury, possibly out for the year for Jonathan Isaac on that one, which is a tough blow for the Orlando Magic. It absolutely is. I mean, now you're you're forced to rely upon, you know, Nikola Vucevic, which he's a, a good player. Aaron Gordon needs to step up in a much larger role. But Isaac was just coming back from a similar knee injury, a hyperextended knee that kept him out for uh, a large chunk of 2020 here in January and February. They weren't even playing him that many minutes. He was only getting about 15, 20 minutes, but uh, he comes back and, and just makes a bad pivot and the knee just buckled, and it was very disturbing. Uh, he's obviously in a lot of pain, and he's got to go through, like you mentioned, Corey, a potential of, of missing the entire next season as well, trying to rehab this injury. Uh, for a young guy, arguably the best defender on this Orlando Magic team, uh, it's going to be a huge blow, and, and a guy that was arguably uh, up for some all-defensive nods uh, this year had the injuries not come. He was a fantastic defender and uh, really growing into his offensive game. So uh, it's a big blow for the Magic. I still think, if whether it's the, uh, the Raptors or the Celtics, they're going to take care of the Magic pretty handily, but uh, it doesn't deal with their chances any better with this blow. From a team perspective, I mean, with the loss of Isaac, the are currently they fell down into that eighth spot where, I mean, okay, so you're getting Milwaukee now. Enjoy that. Um, play them tough, I guess. That's about all you can do when you're looking at it from a team perspective. Uh, maybe Aaron Gordon just pops off for, like, 130 points a game. I don't really know how they're going to be able to make a go of it, but um, w- without Isaac. So it, it's a tough blow for sure for uh, for a team that, I mean – Given some of the top-level teams in the Eastern Conference some struggle in the past, uh, I mean, they've never really been an easy out. I mean, they've been difficult. The Nets have been difficult as well. So, uh, however they line up at 7-8, not going to be the easiest. But, of course, without Jonathan Isaac, uh, the the Magic maybe to some seems like a more preferable opponent than the Nets. 
is because they do have Victor Oladipo back, which would help a little bit. But I just, yeah, like you guys are saying, they uh, it's just not quite stacking up. Um, I guess our player of the uh, the first week in the NBA has got to go to TJ Warren. He's been going off for the, the Pacers. Uh, 53 points against the 76ers. Uh, follows that up with a great 34-11-4-3-4 line and then another 32 points. Uh, Colby, what, what were you seeing out of TJ Warren that, that you liked? He's just been on fuego. Like he is, he has got the confidence of anybody. He is just bobbing them. Uh, he, I think he had nine threes in his uh, 53 point game. And his last three, if you watched any of the highlights, he just absolutely stepped back from probably three, four feet beyond the three point line and, uh, and knocked it home with ease. So he's just been in the zone. And for a Pacers team, that's been uh, without, you know, DeMontis Sabonis. He's got the foot injury. He has not been playing uh, for the Pacers. Uh, like you mentioned there, Oladipo coming back for the Pacers. He is, uh, he hasn't even been playing, I don't think. I haven't even heard his name, quite frankly. So uh, they're they're a little lacking in the uh, offensive category. And, and boy, has he stepped up. And like you mentioned, he's absolutely been the, uh, the first star, quote-unquote, of this NBA bubble week. Yeah, he's been damn good. Uh, nine threes is, is pretty impressive, but it's not 13. Hey, Corey? No, it is not. It is no. not. So it's pretty good, but it's, yes. Not good <laughs> enough. Uh, Nobody's yeah, okay. better. No, no, no. I, ch- I, I challenged Lance to a little 1v1. I think he's a little scared. He's, he's starting Ooh. to chirps in. But. He said, hey, do you, do you play basketball? And I'm like, well, <laughs> not really. Do I look like I run? <laughs> like... Yeah, like take yeah, a look at me. You know it's going to come down on you. I can't the, even the, the smell rim. treadmill, let alone the, walk on one. The rims are they're they're shorter than regulation size, so I might dunk on you. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. I'd love to see it. Probably um, all right, Axel. Head, uh, kind of wrapping up the NBA, we head back out west, and I remember when we were talking about this and this. Um, how this this eight game regular season end was going to go? Uh, we basically gave the Suns the thanks for coming award, but they've stormed back. That those eight nine, you know, all those teams at the bottom of the West, they're getting a lot tighter. Um, it's getting interesting over there in the West, Colby. What say you? Absolutely. Suns have been uh, probably the most surprising team of those uh, bunch there at the bottom of the standings. Um, the Grizzlies, they've got, you know, a tough blow. They lost Jaron Jackson Jr., their big power forward, uh, to a meniscus injury. He's out for the year. So not only have they not won a game in the bubble, but they now lost their second best player. And uh, they got a tough schedule ahead. So it's not looking great for the Grizzlies to uh, to either hold on to this eighth seed or to stay in the ninth seed and try to get into that play-in game, uh, quote-unquote the Mega Bowl is what I'm calling it. And uh, you got the Pelicans. They've kind of had a rough go. They got Zion back, but he's on kind of on a minutes restriction, and uh, they're trying to find their way. They did get a win uh, the other night against the Grizzlies, so that was a big win uh, in a head-to-head matchup. The Spurs, they are – Still alive and kicking. Surprisingly, they're trying to make their 23rd straight uh, playoff berth. And uh, they're kind of switching positions because LaMarcus Aldridge um, had surgery prior to going in the bubble. So he is not with the team. It kind of shifted everybody's position up a little bit and made people play positions they're not usually used to playing. Uh, And a guy like DeMar DeRozan playing a small forward, even sometimes a power forward position, he is like dominating 
guys off the dribble uh, in the mm-hmm. offensive set. Not so great defensively, but he's really keeping it up there with the offense and uh, and scoring in bunches and a lot of their young young guards uh, keeping up the play as well. And uh, the Blazers, final team to mention there. Um, you know, when you got Damian Lillard, you got C.J. McCollum, you got a chance. But having a guy like Yusuf Nurkic come back from his leg injury, that gross injury that he had, uh, I think, early last year, albeit. And uh, he's playing like an absolute monster, taking some of the heat off of Lillard and McCollum uh, to give some offensive punch. But it's it's like you said, Corey, it's an absolute battle right now. Some of these head-to-head matchups are getting even more crucial. And uh, they got five games left, basically, apiece. To, uh, to settle and get into within that eight and nine range to play in the Mega Bowl uh, probably sometime next week. Yeah, it's really shaping up to be Portland and, and a team like the Pelicans after seeing Jackson Jr. go down. Uh, it kind of opens the door for, for Portland just a game back in Memphis. Uh, the Pelicans and Spurs both two games back, but you also look at the Pelicans' schedule the rest of the way. I mean, they got, it got into the bubble and played the Jazz, lost by two. And then two days later, they played the Clippers and forgot that they were playing a game. But then, like, once they took on the Grizzlies, win by 10, and now the rest of their schedule for the New Orleans Pelicans is the Kings twice, the Spurs, the Wizards, and the Magic. Like, you have five winnable games in front of you. Uh, If they pick up four of them, they're probably into that playing game uh, against, like, we figure, uh, a team like Portland that seems... Uh, poised to to find their way in, but New Orleans could be making a run. They'd be somebody I'd be watching for sure. And this has got to be great for the NBA. I mean, especially I know with the they're not huge rivals of the the NHL. They you know you're kind of either a fan of one or the other. Um, but you know, as like for me, I would love to see um tight games in the in the seventh eighth games and then that eight nine game right like this is Mm -hmm. starting to create some drama it's starting to really feel like the flint michigan mega (laughs) ball that's what they're hoping for absolutely and uh in the east you can all but close out that mega ball possibility the wizards suck and they're not even close to uh either the eighth or the ninth seed so this will be the only chance here in the western conference at any sort of a Mega Bowl, and I'm I'm damn sure looking forward to it because it's going to be a hell of a watch. Mega Bowl. Mega Bowl. All right. I think we're done with the NBA. We'll go to MLB. Um, I'm going to jump down the list a little bit. I want to start with Joe Kelly and the Astros, and I want Lance's take. Lance, <laughs> just, just, just Why go. do you want mine? Because I'm curious to see what you think. I think I know, and I want you to say some swear words. But, like, go this ahead. It's going to be a, a great yeah. clippable part here i just want you to go ahead just what do you how do you feel about the astros and, and what happened with joe kelly well last that i saw most of the astros aren't hitting above 200 so feels good i mean that makes sense when you don't know what's coming i mean that that would be difficult when you can't sit on a fastball um i don't i here's the thing i get why joe kelly was suspended you can't throw around the head um it's it's interesting from the dynamic that is well you look at his prior pitches in that outing and it was all over the place i mean whether that was intentional or not you can't really assume intent like you when when you see a guy that's 3-0 on nearly every batter can't find anything unless it's a curveball 
And then he kind of buzzes uh, Bregman, throws behind him, which for one, uh, if I mean, if you're going to go about doing that, obviously you don't want to elevate. But if you're throwing behind him, like it's pretty easy to throw behind a guy. Like it's not it, – it's easier to throw behind him than it is to hit him. Let's put it that way. And so, I mean, if he's going to just sail off a 3-0 fastball, then it's not the biggest of deals because the league has to know. The league has to know that this is going to happen and Joe Kelly's not going to be the only one. They have to understand that they did nothing in regards to penalizing the players. Because Absolutely whether nothing. You, whether you like the players, players were an integral part to everything that went on with their scandal and the banging of the fucking garbage cans and whatnot. So there has to be something that is handed out to them. Like you see in, in hockey when, you know, there's a dirty hit suspension. Sometimes players take it into their own hands, but for the most part, you can rely on egregious hits being taken care of by the league. The same should be set for players in MLB. If you are cheating and like cheating to the point of taking technology. I don't want to hear anything about people saying, oh, well, there was steroid era and this and that. It's like, yeah, well, there was a steroid era. And you also remember the names of Sammy Sosa and Barry Bond. These are people you remember. So don't give me that. But you're not going to remember Josh Reddick being on the 2017 Houston Astros down the road. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, like, to not penalize these players, the league had to know something was going to happen. So, I guess to get back to my original point, Joe Kelly throws behind uh, Alex Bregman. It is what it is. I honestly thought nothing of it. I thought this is what's going to happen. I, I, when I first saw it, I perceived it as not punishing the decision and only punishing the outcome, which is probably the wrong way to look at it. You should be punishing the decision. But to prove intent, unless there was a conversation that happened where Kelly said, yo, like, I, I intentionally threw at his head and threw behind him, which doesn't matter how mad you are, 99% of guys, and I'm going to put Joe Kelly in this list, wouldn't throw at somebody's head like that. So to just insu- assume an intention as a league and Commissioner Manfred has to be one of the stupidest things I have ever seen in MLB. And that's saying a lot considering they didn't punish any of the fucking Houston Astros. Like it makes no sense to me. And then like, we're not even into Carlos Correa yet. Carlos Correa gets curveballs flipped up at him and everyone's losing their mind. If you're trying to hit somebody, Corey, you know, this as well as I do. If you're trying to hit somebody, you're not throwing a fucking curveball. You're going fastball right between the numbers as hard as you can throw it every single time. That's how you send a message is how you dot somebody or whatever you want to call it. But flipping over a curveball is not going to get anything done, and it's not going to be intentional. So people that were losing their minds that Kelly came up on Correa with a curveball, it's like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, and you're defending a team that doesn't deserve to be defended at the end of the day. that's I just think the league's made an absolute joke of it, and they're continuing to make a joke of it. And if I'm on the Houston Astros, I probably want to look for a new team. Because I'm not going to be packs ready for what the rest of the season and next year is going to hold. Like, you're just not. Like, this is going to follow them forever. 
because the league didn't handle this. Rightly or wrongly, the, the league didn't handle this. So players like Correa, players like Altuve, Bregman, they're all going to be marred with this for the rest of their career. It's never, it's never going away. All right. Well, Colby, do you have anything after I, that? <laughs> I, I loved what Len said. I only have to add that I love what Joe Kelly did. And I love the uh, the cockiness and the uh, the smirk that he uh, has now made famous. That went worldwide, and uh, yeah, I got no problem with what he did. He didn't try to uh, go after anyone's, you know. He didn't injure anybody. He threw behind him, and uh, and like you said, Lance, the curveballs that is uh, is not a way to go after somebody. So I agree with you wholeheartedly, and uh, I, I'm on Joe Kelly's side. Yeah, no, Joe Kelly is automatically overnight became everybody's at least top 10 pitcher of all time. Like the respect that he gained from everybody, he gained a lot of new fans. There was a lot of new merchandise out there that I saw. Um, Yeah. He just took it into his own hands. And uh, you know, I don't think this is going to be the only case, but uh, (sighs) hopefully there's more games to go on, but maybe not. I almost hope there's not. Like with the with, I just with the Marlins and games. Cardinals, like is anybody even watching baseball right now? Not really. I'm just watching. No, I haven't tuned into a baseball get, game yet. No. Nope. How many players no. are getting put on the IL? Like that's where we're at. Like right. Manfred, earlier today, earlier today, he said that the MLB's protocols are working despite the outbreaks. That would mean they're not working. You're an idiot. Yeah. Like <laughs> if there's still outbreaks, hey, newsflash: your protocol sucks. Like that's just how it is. That's like yeah. saying, that's like returning a book to the library and ripping out 30 pages and thinking it's the same book. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, all the guys going to the, uh, to the DL. Um, there's Otani, Kluber. I mean, obviously we see what happens with Mike Soroka, which sucks, and, and some, some star names here. But, I mean, if there's a bright side – it's, it should be doing it this season, I think. I don't know. If the season didn't happen, we wouldn't have players getting hurt. But True. That's, yeah. that's, that's revisionist history. Like, I, I thought about that, but it's like you can't, really, you can't really believe that because if nobody gets hurt, then all of a sudden things are fine. But it's like for a guy like Soroka, like this is it, – it's just amplifying how big of a joke this league is right now. Like – if you shut this league down, one of your top pitching arms in baseball isn't getting hurt. Like, you just don't know how a guy's going to come back after that. He's young. And so it's like you're still kind of strengthening and developing a lot of your core muscles at that point. And when you're working with your lower body as a pitcher, I mean, taking any kind of damage down there is a problem. And so it's like – if the fucking league just stopped, this wouldn't be a thing, but it is. Meanwhile, the Marlins have 800 players on fucking IL. Like, what are we doing? Yep. It is a mess down there. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be working. And uh, no matter how uh, safe, quote-unquote safe, and how many protocols they think are in place, it's it's not just one stadium. And we kind of figured, like, if it got into one, it's going to get into several. And, uh, I mean, it got into the Phillies locker room. It it got, like you mentioned, into the Marlins and the Cardinals. It's uh, it's very unfortunate, and it just messes with the entire league schedule. That's already been a clusterfuck. Uh, now trying to fit in a whole week of games here and there and series being canceled and ballparks being shut down. It's just 
not a lot of great publicity for Major League Baseball at this point. No, and you know, I almost wonder, like, if the other sports weren't going on right now, and it was only baseball, and the exact same things that are happening right now were happening, but there wasn't the influence of the success of the other sports. I wonder if MLB would be labeled as a success because they're getting most games in. And I hate to say it, but I almost think it would be. Like, I think that the fact that this season's still going and most games are being played, like, that's kind of how shitty the human race is getting right now. Like, I think that'd be labeled as a success, which is just rough. Like, this is is beyond shutting down. Like, get it out of here. No, I can't. I can't get on onto that level. Everyone knew coming in when there wasn't a bubble that this was not going to be okay. And that was the kind of general thought was like, okay, so you don't have a bubble. You're going to have teams that are traveling around. Uh, Mookie Betts is getting paid millions upon millions, more fucking zeros on the end of his bills than all I've ever seen in my life. But the Blue Jays don't have a home because no <laughs> state wants to like house them. Like these are the things that were happening. And so it's like, yeah. there's no way this was going to be a success when you're one day from your season starting and the Blue Jays don't have a home and you think, you know what, we should make a go of this. I think, I think this could work. It's like, you're delusional. Like this was never going to be good. And having half of a roster in the Marlins who, by the way, swept the Orioles today. So in a double header of all things, like they played two games, they won them both because the Marlins have put everyone's fucking games on hold while they deal with 900 outbreaks. It's like... They're getting their, their pitching staff rested. That's what they've been oh, doing. <laughs> it's just like, like I, I don't think even if weren't happening and this was the only game in town, I don't think you could... I, I don't think people would be calling it a success. I think it would honestly just create more conversation, at least here, as to why are the... MLB owner, not human safety at this point. That's where the conversation would be going. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you, Lance. I think it's uh, it's been outrageous to this point. Like I said, the publicity only keeps getting worse, and uh, yeah, you know, schedules are being affected. Like I mentioned as well, it's it's just not a great time. Uh, to be in the front office of Major League Baseball, but yet they still continue to keep going and uh, trying to push through. And I get what you're saying, Corey, absolutely. I think uh, if there was no other competition, I think I think to a point you are right. I think just to get any games in, to have any sort of entertainment uh, would be a welcome sight to, to many Americans, Canadians, everybody watching baseball. But uh, it, it just it's growing more and more apparent that the bubble situation, and again, knock on wood, it is working, and you have to look, you know, come the fall, NFL's got themselves a really tough situation to look at because they are in a very similar boat as Major League Baseball and the fact that they do not want to do bubbles. They say that they can't have as many people, uh, you know, 90 players per team uh, inside of a bubble, but I don't see a, a world where they're going to be able to travel and uh, and to be in these stadiums. Uh, obviously, fans won't be part of the picture, but NFL's got them some serious looking into to do uh, before their season kicks off there at the end of September. Can I make one more point before we transition off this? Go and ahead. Then I'll, and then I'll be done with baseball. Then I, I've already said too much for the day. I'm getting my, my blood pressure boiling. Um, the, the Miami Marlins are 5-1. and one. I just want yeah. that to soak in. The Miami Marlins, who are putting everyone that they play's seasons on hold, be- 
because they're living just they're they just they piss out COVID nineteen. <laughs> they're fine. So, hold on. To add on to that, I think so because they're missing so many games, and there's going to be other teams missing games. I think one of the um, ideas is that it's going to come down to win percentage at the end of the mm-hmm. game, dude. If I'm the Marlins, just pack up, wait for the playoffs. You got the winning percentage now. <laughs> Why wow. not? You know, the, you know the league's not going to stop. You know that they're yeah. just going to keep playing with or without you. You got six yeah. games in. You won five of them. They're Get all your games in the against the Orioles. Seed. Like, yeah, just. <laughs> Just call it quits now. And also with the Orioles, things are getting so interesting with them that they have a guy on their team who got a, I think it was a silver medal in the Sochi Olympics six years ago for fucking speed skating that played on their team today. That's where they're at. Eddie Alvarez is his name. Wow. Yeah. He's uh he can, he can run those bases that's for sure just strap on the blades I guess second. I don't know I don't know uh, anymore anyway we'll uh we'll wrap up baseball on a positive note Nate Pearson looked really good in his debut his long awaited debut there was a lot of talk whether he should be up whether he shouldn't but uh went toe to toe with toe to toe with uh, Scherzer and uh he looked really good the five innings he pitched um the fastball looked really good his off speeds were were really good. Yeah, it yeah, seems like a lifetime yeah. ago that game happened, hey? Like, mm-hmm. it, obviously, we haven't been talking about it in a long time, but uh, like you mentioned, Corey, great outing. And the fact that he can go toe-to-toe with Scherzer was absolutely a bright spot considering the uh, pre-exhibition game that he showed had a little bit of a rough go there against the Red Sox. But, uh, yeah, very nice outing. Great future ahead for Pearson. We've talked about him a bunch here on the pod. Um Blue Jays got, him, got themselves a gem, and uh, he should be looking to uh, prove his wealth now with that extra year of service time that the uh, Blue Jays saved by not playing him there in the opening weekend. Uh, that's got to be good there for Blue Jays fans. Yeah, I was just kind of to echo what you said. Pearson looked great. Um, as, you know, most younger pitchers can and will do, they'll throw hard. Uh, Pearson was, I think, averaging right around 98, 99 miles an hour. Uh, as he develops, the the nice thing will be having the opportunity to bring his velocity down a little bit to save himself from himself and teach him how to pitch a little bit more. Uh, just because if you're throwing 99 for 10 years, unless you're Aldis Chapman, who's one guy in a league of a lot of pitchers, uh, it's kind of tough to do. So, uh, fingers crossed that Pearson can stay healthy this year and keep improving. And uh, I, I mean, uh, there's a lot of faith with the Jays uh, staff, I think right now, more than ever, a lot of people are really starting to turn a leaf on Shapiro and Atkins and what they've built. Um, and it's all deserved. I mean, they've done really well up to this point and now it's going to be a matter of, okay, you've got these prospects. They're here. Now let's turn them into pros. Yeah, they've done a really good job. I mean, you just look, you know, it wasn't too long ago that Donaldson, Bautista, and Encarnacion, like that that lineup was was here. And that was a really quick turnaround, all, all things considered. I mean, we had some, some long seasons, but the future is now. And uh, I think we're looking really good. But mm-hmm. I think that's everything that we got for, for MLB here. Yeah, this has been a long one, boys. I think uh, I think we're all ready for some bed. All righty. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in to this long episode of On the Board. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter 
at on the board pod. Um, hopefully we can get to some more episodes uh, in a quicker fashion down the line, uh, teeing up the next round of the NHL playoffs, obviously getting to that mega bowl with the NBA and uh, we'll see if baseball is a thing during our next podcast. We'll have to wait and see on that one. For Lance Dahl, Corey Bacoskis, Colby McKee signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On The Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes! Yes!